0: What's up everybody, this is John Bush from Armored Saints and the focus is on metal. So turn it up.
1: Focus on
2: Hey, Metal Ed, Scott Thompson here, once again, bringing you yet another week of Focus on Metal. So we have a pretty cool guest on this week, and I don't think we've ever had a guest like this on the show ever in the 11-plus years of our history, so this should be pretty cool. I almost think that Richie is trying to sneak a... Uh, a new project into the works without telling me that he's got an idea for an official project. But that's my gut. But, anyways, this week we have Metal Mike from Ardshock on the show. And just so we're square on this, we're talking Metal Mike from Ardshock, not Metal Mike from the Halford Band and all kinds of other cool stuff. But uh, Mike Van, and I'm going to try to, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to mangle this, but Mike Van Rizwick. And uh, That's probably as close as I'm going to come. He uh, is one of the founders of ArdShock, and then also, more importantly, why Richie has him on the show this week is he is one of the creators of the ArdShock Festival, but ultimately, this ends up being a doubleheader of really cool metal history reaching back into uh, 1980, where Richie's going to go down the path with Mike about how the uh, ArdShock magazine came about. And then from there, cruising into, uh, you know, how all that stuff kind of became an international sensation with that. And then ultimately you end up with the Art Shock Festival as well. So lots, like I said, lots of cool stuff reaching back. To 1980 and then Michael bring us up to you know 1982 where he launches the first art shock festival and uh, you know it starts off very small talking maybe 1200 people to that one and he's got you know pictures on there and uh, vandalay crossfire impact and the headliner actually canceled that was Bitch's sin but uh, you know what Things move on. And as you kind of move up the years, you really see that, you know, even from 82 to 83, 83, you got Accept, you got Raven, you got Vandenberg, Miss Merciful Fate. So good stuff there. 84, you know, you have Metallica on the bill. 86, Halloween, Las Rockets on there. Uh, Las Rockets, a favorite of Metal Mike, as you'll find in the interview. 87, that's a classic bill with Talica. Anthrax, Metal Church, Crimson Glory on there. 88 is even cooler with Megadeth. Testament, Flotsam, and uh, you got some uh, Nuclear Assault on there. And it just keeps on getting better and better as you go up through uh, the 1999 show. But like I said, really different this week. We've never really had a festival organizer on the show. But then not only that, festival organizer and also the uh, founder of uh, you know a pretty amazing metal magazine and also as mike will go into in the interview that uh, this also spun off and created the dynamo festival as well so a lot of stuff that really started with uh with this guy being a metal fan and just living the dream and bringing that dream to the rest of us so really cool interview this guy he has he could probably talk to us for hours and hours well, we uh, unfortunately don't have that much time, but I'm thinking that he's definitely a guy we'd love to have come back on the show again. Like I said, very free with his time and uh, literally could talk for hours and hours all about the awesome history of metal that he is deeply entrenched in. So what do you say that I turn the show over to Richie and Hard Shock's own Metal Mike? Mike? Hi, hey,
3: Mike. It's Richie here for the interview. Uh, it's now a good time? Hey, yeah. Yeah, so where where are you? Where are you based?
0: I'm uh, in the Netherlands.
3: Okay, okay, I'm um,
0: near I'm, near Eindhoven,
3: mm, a city called Eindhoven. Yeah, I know Eindhoven. I'm fr- I'm originally from Ireland, but I'm just outside of Boston.
0: Okay, I used to live in Harlem for two years, and I was working at Roadrunner.
3: Hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the magazine first, Mike. Um, okay. Okay. Um, how long has the magazine been going out for? Been out for now, the art shock magazine.
0: Well, I started in October 1980, so it's been running for 40 years now. We were one of, probably not the first, there were some fanzines out, but definitely the first magazine out, a bit bigger on the market. Mm. There was all those, um, you know, from England, all those new wave of British heavy metal bands came down like Phantom, Raven, Tigers of Pantang, Iron Maiden, Death Leopard, Fist, Phantom, you know, the list is long, Bag, Hollow Ground, whatever, a lot of bands, and uh, nobody was writing about those bands, and there was a whole new scene, you know, there was upcoming American bands, you had Riot in Texas, Yesterday and Today in California, Twisted Sister in New York, uh, in Seattle, there were all kinds of metal bands, you know, Metal Church, and uh, whatever, and a lot of bands started coming to start out, nobody was writing about them, that's why I'm starting the magazine, to tell the people, you know, what was happening.
3: Mm. Now, does this, this having an idea... Of doing a magazine and then the actual doing it. Um, how difficult was it in the beginning to get it off the ground?
0: Well, first of all, you know, now, nowadays you have nuclear blasts. Mamma or SPV and Napalm and Roadrunner, but all those specified metal labels didn't exist. Even like metal Blade, you know, Brian Slager was running a magazine in uh, LA called heavy metal review. He didn't have a, a label, you know, metal blade didn't even exist. A lot of, you know, companies weren't there yet. And, uh, So I didn't have advertising from that that point of view. So I um, I Xeroxed myself, um, stapled them together and brought them to the record stores where I usually was buying my vinyl. So I made 500 copies of the first one that sold out in three days. Then the second, uh, I made 800 that sold out in three days. Ten thousand, twelve hundred—you know—all the, um, the gains, the profit I got from the magazines, um, I uh, put in um, higher circulation for the next one. And at a certain point, I was driving three days. Um, just to uh, supply all the shops in the Netherlands and Belgium, and then I went through a distributor who was distributing vinyl to all of the record stores, like 75 stores in the Netherlands and north of Belgium, and uh, I used that distributor to do it, and then it went on in Belgium. I used uh, a label called Mausoleum to send uh, Mausoleum Records was an upcoming um, label that signed Warlock, you know, the first album of Warlock they brought out, and a lot of other metal bands. And they did the distribution for me when they were sending selling or sending final to the record stores. You know, they uh Put some magazines in the same boxes. So I went on until I had like a circulation for seven, eight thousand copies. And then I got in touch with Metal Hammer Germany. They they started in '85, and they wanted to check in '80 or actually at the end of '85. They came to me whether we could do something together. So and then for a few years I worked together with Metal Hammer, and the magazine went from. Uh, became with a distribution of 27,500 in the Netherlands and it was financed by the Germans from Metal Hammer. So we worked together for a couple of years, but then uh, Metal Hammer started to incorporate other foreign magazines like the uh, English magazine, but the taste of the English fans was a bit different than the ones in in the Netherlands and Germany. So it was hard to work together, you know. They would have like a huge feature on a band or whatever, like Tiger Tails or Faster Pussycat and where we were more interested to do something on Slayer and Metallica for example and um, so that didn't work out too well so we left Metal Hammer and then went on our own again in 93 just called Art Shock and did it all myself
3: mm. Now when, when Metal Hammer were helping with the magazine uh, how many languages was it being translated into?
0: Um well well it started in German. The second language that came in eighty six was Archuk, so that was Dutch. And then in eighty eight I must say they started with the English one. And around the same time with the Polish, Greece, Italian and Spanish I think that were the languages that came out. Oh. But uh, I don't know. I wasn't involved in the, those other countries. You know, all the all the magazines they used the same li- uh, layout. That's why I mean we had problems with the uh, articles, the English ones. That we all had the same layout, and the only thing we changed was uh, black film with the text. So we everybody has the same layout, and only changing the the black film with, with the text on there so every country had to say a different text in their own language but the layout and the pictures were all the same so we had to use sometimes layouts of fans that didn't mean shit in our territories mm. mike tell me about so the all... mike tell
3: me about the music scene in holland in the 80s when it came to festivals in general um was there a lot of oh, festivals well, was... was there a lot of them
0: no well there was small fe- i mean there was festivals maybe with Three or four bands in the club. There wasn't, there was no open air festival. Okay, you have Pink Pop, which is still running, which is a not, let's say, a regular, not a metal festival, but a regular festival. But for example, in 1978, the last three bands on the bill were Mother's Finest, Journey, and Thin Lizzy. So it wasn't a metal festival, but they had the Cure and whatever, uh, all kinds of bands playing there. But on, in 78, they had the lot three bands for metal bands. And in '80, 80, around 82, the, uh, the promoter, Jan Smith, called me and he always wanted to have my input, which metal band he should have. So then he had every year he had one metal band or a hot rock band. So I I put uh, Ingrid Maltese's Rising Force on there. I put Y&T on there, who at the same time were recording in England, I think with Max Norman, were recording the Black Tiger album. So I told John, well, Y&T never went, was in Europe and they just have put out that great Earthshaker record and you should have put them on the bill. So he, that's how we got Y&T. And the same with, with Inge and rising force. I know Ingwe since Ingrid, uh since when it was fourteen years or so. Mm. Mike, so. it
3: must have been difficult though to get the bands on the bill. Sometimes that you probably would have had a list, and you probably might have been lucky to maybe get a handful on it.
0: Well, I was, I started uh, another company or somebody asked me to do bookings for, uh, to start a booking agency who did like disco acts to do uh, a lag of that one, but then uh, for metal bands. So I started to do bookings and bands. Uh, for bands like Bodine, which was a um, was the first Dutch band, where Arian Lucasen from Arian was the guitar player, and was a um, pretty good hard rock band, and Exciter, but I was from Harlem, not the, not the uh, Canadian ones, and um, Impact and Gilgamesh, and and I also did the bookings for Accept for the uh, I'm a Rebel Record Breaker and Restless and Wild for those three around those. I did all the bookings, so they played like every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They were playing in the Netherlands or Belgium, and they did really well, way better than in Germany. For example, I know one day that was uh, on Monday was the start of the German Restless and Wild tour in Cologne in the Muenchheimer Stadthalle. On Sunday, I had them in the bar in the Netherlands in Melderslo playing for eight 800- hundred people and on monday the german tour their first german tour started uh, 100 miles further and there was 123 people there so they were much more popular in the netherlands and belgium around that time when breaker and restless and wild came out than they were elsewhere as, elsewhere in the world oh. so i did those bookings there and i'm tr- I'm, was tr- I'm working with johnny z trying to get you know send, get bands playing on the east coast of America and like for example Lars called me, you know we're always doing shows with Metallica on the on the on the on the West Coast. Do you know somebody? You know Ken Bucas shows on the uh, East Coast. So yeah, yeah, I gave him the number of Johnny Z. They drove over there, fired the stain, flew Kirk in, and the rest is history. I, I did for example in Europe. I did also the bookings for Merciful Fate, Raven, and Venom. Mm-hmm. And uh, I sent Raven over there, and they stayed in the band house in, I think, in New Jersey. I'm not sure where the bandhouse house was located. But it was the same band house where also Metallica stayed when they uh, started to the tour together, to Kill 'em All for One tour. Mm. You know, Meg- uh, Metallica had to kill them out, out on Megaforce because Journey Z couldn't get the band signed, so they- he started his own label, Mega Force. And um, Raven had an album out called All for One, produced by uh, Michael Wagner and Udo Dirkschneider. Because me booking, except I had Raven Raven opening up a lot of shows for them. So I booked them most of the times together. So that's how their friendship came, and how Michael Wagner and Udo Dirk Schneider were producing the All for One record. Michael Wagner wasn't a big producer then. He was actually the sound and the front of house guy for accept. He worked in Hanover building, um, mixing desk. That was his main job. And uh, then he started to working with Don Duck, doing uh, productions with Don Dock and when uh, Don Dock and recorded in Hanover with Michael Wagner together the breaking the chains, the first Dock record, then, um, um, on so Duck and uh, said to, uh, to Michael, Come over to uh California and you can stay in my house, uh live with me in my house in Redondo Beach and uh you know we started doing productions together. So then he uh you know he left as front the house guy for Accept and came to America to produce bands. Oh. And there's a whole lot of stories I can tell about that one. I <laughs> can go on with those, those kinds of stories for hours. <laughs> there was a lot of stuff happening there at the time, and I was in the middle of the we- spider web. Let's say the spider in the middle of the metal oh. web. My, my so kids. and uh, so I was doing those those shows, and uh, to promote the magazine, I started in '81 with an shop festival. The first one had mainly Dutch bands, and the second one had old bands. I was doing the bookings for, so I had the uh, I wanted to have them as a headliner but the gear was uh, con- uh, I, I think they played some shows with Johnny Z in, uh in Long, Long Beach no in I'm uh, sorry in uh in New York I think or Long Island and uh they're on the way back to Europe their their gear was held at the Canadian borders and, um, so they couldn't, they couldn't get their gear over to do my f- headline the festival. So I replaced them by except who were headlining them. And I had Raven Vandenberg, German band called Trance and opening up was a Danish band called merciful fate. So, and I had 6,000 people there in, uh, 1982 in June, 82, I think it was Mike can I ask you, so that was my first bigger festival.
3: Can I ask you a question about that festival? I've got the list of them in front of me. When is the first time you, you got to know Adrian Vandenberg or his music?
0: Um, well, I did actually, I just did a, a large piece on him, and it locked. And and the the current issue of Art I did like a twenty page piece on all the stuff. I, I I saw him opening up for I don't know for a band uh, with his band teaser, and when he put uh, Vandenberg together, he came to my bedroom where I was working out. Uh, you know, I was doing the magazine out of my bedroom, and he came with uh, like a test pressing of the first Vandenberg record, and he played it at my room. I did an interview, and I was probably around eighty. 82 end of 82 i think it was then he just visited me in my bedroom and played me the the album the test pressing of the album
3: Mm, mm. the venue you had for the first festival uh was it easy to get a venue that like were you worried that maybe you wouldn't sell sell enough tickets
0: no, the first, uh, the first uh, with the four Dutch bands or five Dutch bands I did was in the Efenar. They had the venue, the venue still. Well, actually, the, there's a new building, but the old is at the same spot in Eindhoven. And I was allowed to sell 500 tickets, and I sold like 800, so it was pretty packed. And the second one was in uh, like a, a hangar. It was like you know, a hangar, like a half-round Building in you know, way you can park airplanes. Uh, and I had to work a lot to make it accessible for concert, and I had like six thousand people there. Wow! That was in had uh, in uh, in the bosch in the Brabant Holland, uh, but it wasn't really suitable for um, for concerts. But when I, when I did the organ- the police came to uh, to search. To um, to cut down all the audience that came in, so per minute only like ten people entered the building. I didn't, you know, I didn't invite them to uh, to check on the people. I just wanted to have the people in there as fast, but it took a long. So with a lot of uh, people getting and pushed together, you know, there was um, a pile up of people at the entrance, so what I did, I opened on the back of the venue one of the huge hangar doors, which is like um, 20 feet high door, and I told everybody, ticket or not, just walk in there, so I had 6,000 people in there in a minute, so, you know, to um, to avoid, you know, a dangerous situation at the entrance, because people were getting flattened, uh, ah. because of the police, you know, letting only a few people in. And merciful fate already started to play, and everybody wanted to see merciful fate. No. So then I opened the big hangar door to get everybody around the corner, even people who didn't have a ticket could get in there. So to release the stress at the entrance, and everything went fine the whole day.
3: Well, did, did you? And did, then, um, what? Mike, did you have a lot of people for that fe- when the festival really started to get going around then? That were travel, yeah, well, six, traveling, uh, that were traveling from Germany and France and maybe the UK.
0: Yeah, they all they all came. I mean, like at the Dynamo, the shows we did there. I mean, we had all the Germans, the guys who started Rock Hard later, were there almost every week when we booked. I mean, the Dynamo only could hold like 500 people but you know we invited all the bands to play there slayer slayer played that twice on the hello tour the first european tour they did in 85 and we had exodus playing a couple times and we we we, uh got a lot of bands from england over all the time satan uh and uh, later when they were called blind fury now they're satan again and um yeah, zillions of bands. And then we had the guys from Warlock and Doro, you know, visiting the Dynamo Club as fans. And Doro would sing uh, Breaking the Law or Living After Midnight, with, jamming it with Venom or with Satan or whoever was on stage. So we had a, a lot of fun there. And we had a... Uh, it was a friend base. Everybody who came to the club knew each other. And uh, there was a, you know, just I think you had it in New York the, or the New Jersey, whatever you call it, the militia, the metal militia. There was also a bunch of friends helping each other and mm-hmm. visiting the same metal clubs and shows all the time. And it was the same scene at the Dynamo Club in the early days. It was just old friends hanging out and listening to heavy music. Oh, Mike, did you
3: try and get a balance of American bands and European bands or was it just the bands that were available at the time you, you booked?
0: Um
3: because when I when I look when I look in 87, right, there's like Metallica, yeah. Anthrax, Metal Church, Crimson Glory, Laz Rocket, they're all US bands and the only U, the only band from Europe on it is Celtic Frost.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah. Um um, well, okay. I, I want to, I Phantom didn't make it. Let's, let's, um, Venom didn't make it to the Archer Festival. Well, they made it, but not their gear. So I invited them to there. They came on stage, uh, played some the two video clips they had made at that time. Nobody had seen before. And they threw some patches and, and T-shirts in the crowd. So they were cheer- they started crying on stage. They were so overwhelmed by the 6,000 people shouting their name. Because I wanted to do Venom because there was a huge hype around the band. And then we, n- nobody in Europe ever saw them play live. I said, I want to do the Venom show, but only the first one that you ever do. So they didn't do. So I booked them for the next as a headliner for the next Archer Festival. And then Eric Cook the manager said, you know, uh, we want to do add some extra shows to make it worthwhile and to do seven dates or so. So I booked some shows. And the last show of the, uh, of the seven dates, of Hell Tour, was Hammersmith's Odeon. And and Lars wanted to do some more shows. And said, well, you know, just open up for Venom. So they, they opened up the the, six, the first six shows of the Seven Days of Hell Tour, opening up for Venom, and so also opening up for the Archer Festival, and it was uh, the 11th of February 1984, was the first show they did in the Netherlands. And, but in Hammersmith, already in the last show, they couldn't open up because Venom was recording a VHS tape there, and they had so many uh, explosives installed on stage they didn't they didn't have space for an opening act. So Metallica did the six of the seven to, uh, dates, and we were promoting Metallica through the magazine. So the first country where they really became popular was the Netherlands and Belgium, and then later Germany and. So I helped them on the Ride the Lightning tour. I was at every show at the Ride the Lightning tour, uh, also because the opening band was Tank, and I was working with Tank doing their promo at that time. So Tank and it was the so, yeah the whole Ride the Lightning tour. I was with Metallica and Tank every every show. So so I helped Metallica in the early days a lot, and uh, so and uh, I'm still friends with those guys.
3: Hmm. Mike, can I ask you about the 1989 lineup? to me this is it's a very varied lineup because the one in eighty eight had like it was very trash orientated it was Megadeth, testament flotsam nuclear assault then you had vicious rumors and sanctuary but in eighty nine you you had Queensryche vengeance crimson glory you had flotsam and jetsam you had House of lords Leatherwolf, and Wolfsbane. like that that 's a very varied lineup.
0: yeah well Wolfsbane was um I mean, you know how, I don't know how how English booking agents work. Uh, Like you want to have a certain band and they say, if you want to have this band, you also have to have that band. And that's how I got Wolfsbane, you know, uh, pushed down my throat. I didn't want to have Wolfsbane. Nobody in the Netherlands knew them. But the agent said, you know, if you want to have this band, you have to also, you you have to have Wolfsbane. So that's how Wolfsbane came on the lineup. And then everything. On every festival, I wanted to have one Dutch band, at least, in there. So that's how uh, a band like Vengeance or Horizon or whatever came on the lineup. And then the rest was uh, just bands I liked. I mean, um, I have a broad—I like a lot of bands. I mean, I, I, House of Lords was a pretty good band around that time, and and Queensryche— they weren't that big yet, um, uh, but I just want to have them as a headliner because I like the first EP and the first record, and they never played in Netherlands before. So yeah, they opened up one show once for Dio uh, a year before, but for the rest of it, they hardly played in Europe. So I wanted to have them headlining, and uh, I just that's that, that I like Led Zeppelin was a good band. They never played Europe before. I still like
3: those guys. Oh.
0: was there any it was ba- just sort of what I liked?
3: Yeah, was there any band back then when you had a varied lineup that that didn't really go over well with the crowd that their, their style was maybe too different to the rest of the bill?
0: No, not really ever. I mean, let's say in 82 when I had Vandenberg on the bill between, you know, Accept and Raven and um, Merciful Fate, I thought they would be booed off because it was like a more a commercial, Americanized sounding band. So I, I was a little bit afraid that they would be booed off stage, but no, the, this uh, went surprisingly well. Nothing was thrown on stage or booed or whatever. So, I mean, it sometimes happened, but we're, we're Dutch people are pretty open-minded to new music, you know, and a lot of those bands never played in the Netherlands. I had on the festival, like Fear of God, you know, uh, with Don Crosby. They never played Europe, only uh, the Archer Festival and the Dynamo Club the day before as a warm-up.
3: Oh. So I
0: always had something special.
3: Yes, yeah, so, so you, you brought bands over sometimes maybe from the U.S. that would only play your festival. And maybe not play yeah, many. Yeah,
0: dates. I just I uh, send the money to buy plane tickets, and they came over. I put them in a hotel. They, they got fed the, the, during the stay. We might do some club shows in the weekend or a couple of days before the festival to get adjusted to the time change and stuff, or jamming with other musicians. So that's how I did it. Mm.
3: Now in the in the nineties, the festival. It, it, I'm looking here. I think there was a a couple of years you had a break. Um, When it came back in the 90s, it really was a varied bill because the music at the time, there was a hodgepodge of all different styles. Was that something that yeah there was, you,
0: uh, it was it was tough yeah the borders were disappearing between metal and whatever music you know you had all kinds of new bands coming in and new styles, it was hard to define what was just metal i mean i just I just put bands on there that I liked and um, and yeah that if that ends up in a varied building I don't care
3: mm D- did you want to maybe do keep it more traditional metal or? Did you think maybe to sell tickets you had to have it a little bit more varied?
0: No, not really. No, I was I was not thinking about ticket sales. Actually, I just I thought if I, as long as I put bands in there I like, um, and because I'm making the magazine and getting the feedback from that, I know a lot of people have the same taste as I have. I thought as long as I put on there what I like, uh, the people will come. Hmm.
1: Hmm.
0: Um. Of course, I had some bad luck with cancellations of tours because of the various stuff. I mean, like three days before, I mean, I had Metallica headlined in a festival uh, three days before uh, Cliff, you know, got in a bus accident. So we had to postpone that festival for half a year to do the show with uh, Jason Newstead half a year later. Huh. Or uh, sometimes you have a a headliner book, like one time I had a lineup with Scorpions, and Scorpions canceled their whole tour, so I didn't have a headliner, so we canceled that festival. You always have to have a headliner, you know, to draw a big audience, and then for the rest, you put interesting bands uh, that people might not know, but that are good.
3: Uh. What in the early nineties when with the festival? What size had you moved venue at that stage? Like what size building were you in? Um, uh,
0: the, the the problem in now nowadays the Netherlands has maybe the best. Uh, clubs and venues for festivals and stuff, and they're all very modern. Everything with elevators and loading docks and stuff. But back then, there were hardly any venues to do bigger size festivals. It, some of the, uh, like the Eisel Hall Holland's Mola, where let's say Slayer did their farewell show in the Netherlands uh, last year, uh, one and a half a year ago. Uh, it's it's a it's a venue. It's a hall where. During the day, they're selling cattle, you know cows and whatever, <laughs> and then they clean it and they clean it out, and then they put a stage on there, and you have your festival the next day and still. You know, you have all the smells in the venue of all that was happening there the day before. So there weren't really nice festivals like you have now, the the the, the Dome or the Afas Live, uh, all those specially for concerts built venues or the old 13 in Tilburg. They weren't there yet. There were all maybe little movie theaters or little clubs. There weren't for bigger festivals. There weren't really good venues there. Only, only the Ahoy and Rotterdam, that at that time held 7,000, but that was uh, that maybe a little too big for the Archer Festival.
1: Mm. There,
0: were just, there, weren't, there weren't the bigger festivals, the big O2s you have everywhere. Was, that, that whole scene wasn't built yet.
3: Mm. So Mike, how, how big a hand did you have in getting the bands on, on for the Dynamo Festival?
0: well not not much i mean uh, dynamo was um, was run by um Andre Veriser, and Andre still works for the magazine and he was then a uh, writer for Archer magazine and he was when i the, when the magazine became too big um, for me to do as well the bookings as the magazine. I chose to continue with the magazine. And I gave all my contacts to Andre, who started to book dance at the Dynamo, and and then when that, when he did that for five years or four years, Booking Bands in the Dynamo, they had a five-year anniversary festival in the parking lot of the venue. And that was the first Dynamo Open Air Festival in 86. And they continued to do use that parking lot in 87. And then they went to a nice ring, the, the Icebahn in Eindhoven, which could hell hold, hold six, seven thousand people outside. And then a couple of years later, they went to a, to an airfield, and abandoned airfield, where at one time they had 127,000 people, and Andre was booking the same bands I was booking, and uh, he added some more and more bands, and uh, so that's how he rolled into that whole scene. And I, I didn't do a lot with booking bands there anymore. I'm still helping bands left and right if they, you know, if they need a hand or if they uh, need some contacts and stuff. But uh, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. So I'm still doing the magazine for 40 years now, almost. Uh-huh. So And Andre started to, well, working, booking bands at the Dynamo Club, then started to do the festival. And then at, for him, it became an all-year-round thing. So he stopped working for the magazine. And when Dynamo Open Air stopped, he started working for me uh, five days a week. And that's been, uh, I think, 14 years now.
3: Okay.
0: Um, Mike... My- so-
3: I was told that the Dynamo For a while The Dynamo Festival Was free to get it To get into How were they able to do that no, It
0: was uh, one One guilder, Let's say one dollar To get in
3: Wow How how were, they, how were they able to get The tickets priced so low Was it advertising
0: No uh, Beer sales Alcohol sales Okay Wow, And uh, the the first bands that played there was just all bands uh, Andre and me were befriended with, you know, uh, Satan, Blind Fury, all those, well, all those, you know, Onslaught, um, Mad Max and Testament, guys. You know, we always had to pay uh, one or two of the bigger bands, but a lot of bands played for free. And, um, you know, so it was actually the, the beer sales that paid for everything.
1: I am in intense pain, Pinky.
0: Mainly. And then uh, the price went up from one guilder to two guilders to five guilders, Or or it was just a bucket at the entrance, throw something in, you know, and people maybe would throw in ten bucks or something. Oh. Uh, so that's how it went. And oh. that's how it grew. It became like the Woodstock for, for metal fans, especially from Germany. You know, there wasn't... Grass Pop didn't exist yet. There was no walking open air. It was the first festival when when we moved to the um, to the, the airfield where you just come in with your car loaded with 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 booze and food, park and and camp out there and go to a festival. Let's say it was some some years when there were a hundred thousand people. Maybe thirty thousand people went on site to see the bands, and the rest just stayed on the campings, the camping grounds around the site just to uh, be at the event and not going going for the bands. Oh. Now, Mike, one of the bands... Let's, 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 you know, maybe compare it to the Rootstock stuff, hmm. then for Metalhead.
3: Mike, Mike, one of the bands that stands out to me on Dynamo, especially in the 80s, and I've interviewed Michael Sweet a, a few times from Striper. Um, yeah. They were booked for Dynamo. They, played, they in were headlining in
0: eighty-seven,
3: and he he's told me that it was a a, a, bit, t- a bit of a tough crowd because you know the Christian rock band um, was that a band you wanted for chalk
0: Well, I mean the, the thing is, I mean they were okay. They they were a white metal band or whatever, a Christian metal band. They were throwing Bibles in the crowd, and the crowd threw them back at them as hard as they could. Um, but you know you had testament playing before them, and most of the people came for testament, but you know they had they were all this religious stuff, but I saw them loading in all the alcohol and the and the uh and the hash you know into into the truck uh, you know through the back door and you know it was just uh you know it was just a, you know, was just a, a fake thing so um but the crowd- i mean the music wasn't bad it was it was a good show in eighty seven but um the crowd, they didn't storm the stage. They only threw the Bible spec that got thrown at them. That was all. Hmm. And there was no animosity or so.
3: Hmm. Was there a lot of the Yard Shock uh, performances recorded? I, I do remember Testament had an EP out, I think, around 87, 88. I, I don't know whether that was Dynamo or Yard Shock, though.
0: Yeah, no, it was Dynamo, Um Yeah, they had a a mobile radio station, a nationwide radio station recording some of the bands. But, you know, a lot of bands, that's a really weird thing. Now... You organize a festival, and you ask the bands, can we record the sound or the video? And they were so hesitant in the early days. No, no, you're not allowed to do this, not allowed to do that. No no recordings, no filming, blah, blah, blah. And then 10 years later, you know, you, give, you get a call from some bands. You know, we played your festival then and then. Do you have any recordings or recorded footage we can use? I said, well, you know, at that time, your tour manager or whatever forbid to do any recordings or filming so no you know the problem was always to get the okay from the bands to record or to broadcast or to film anything and then later they ask you if you have stuff so no not a lot of stuff were, was recorded um i mean i have some um some uh from the house desk tapes from some archer festival stuff but it has never been released or so uh.
3: I'm sure if you had some of that stuff Metallica did, that'd be like gold now.
0: Yeah, probably. But, you know, if you knew then what we know now, yeah, but you didn't know then. Mm. Just mm. doing hmm uh, Just a metal hat to wants to do a festival for, uh, for a lot of friends.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, it wasn't, uh, we weren't, uh, let's say, a big booking company doing it as a business. It was um, just a bunch of fans running a magazine and doing some stuff on the side. Mm. That's mainly how you have to see it. We're just metal fans doing stuff for other metal fans, and I'm still feeling the same.
3: Mike, did you go to Dynamo every year? Yes, you did.
0: Okay. Yes, I was one of the sponsors, so yes, I, I did. Well, I had a booth there. You know, on the on the pitch, uh, we had a booth selling magazines, promoting the magazines through the festival, and promoting the festival through the magazine. So we were helping each other.
3: Okay. Okay. So, was there any band that you booked for Ardshock that, we're looking back on now, that that they were difficult to deal with on the day? Like they might have had too much to drink or did too many demands? Was there? Can you think of anything like that?
0: Mm, well, there were some bands with writers that had really weird demands, but then we always threw that in the bin and just made sure the band was happy. They had something to drink they liked. They had something to to smoke they liked, and. Uh, you know, as long as the man was happy, they didn't think about the Raider, you know. Oh. No, I, I didn't. If you, you know, if you treat them like normal people and don't don't throw them in a caravan and no showers and stuff, but if you treat them well, they have all, you know, clean towels and there's a shower in the area they can use for themselves. And, again, they have great catering. That's most important that they have well, they get well fed and then everything they need for drinks and and you know, something to smoke, you know, you already um, paid half of everything they want, you know, so as long as the man is happy and the crew is happy, you know, you already have one, you know, don't if you, you don't have to look at a rider. Some men oh. do it, of course, they have weird requests, but mainly if you treat them well, you know, you don't have any problems.
3: Yeah, Mike. One of the things they used to do in the UK was they'd fill up bottles of, with urine and, and throw it at the band if they didn't like the band. Did you, did you ever get any of that at your festivals?
0: No, no, no. Uh, this name is just a British thing. No, <laughs> I, I mean, I know I saw it happen when I was at the Reading Festival, you know, or or Donington or monsters of rock, or so you know, and even when Guns N' Roses was playing, or whatever band, you know, the a lot of them are maggoted. You know, they got hammered with, with bottles of stuff, uh, or modulator, you know, or whatever. No, we never had that happening. Oh. I mean, maybe yeah, the crowd was too nice at that time. You know, when I when the, I did my festival. It was too early. It was all new. Yeah. And nowadays, people are spoiled and whatever.
3: Yeah. Do you remember any band being nervous about going on stage? Because they might have sounded. Well, Metallica
0: little... in, the, in the 84. Yeah. That was the first show, you know, with uh, uh, like 6,000 people. They never played uh, outside of little clubs, you know, above three 400 people. They were nervous as shit. I mean, James was nervous as hell. He didn't. He, he was really nervous because I mean, you know, he had to sing. He didn't want to be the singer in Metallica. He only wanted to be the guitar player. And now he had, had to stand behind behind a microphone for six thousand people. You no, know, they still when they were there in '84, they still were trying to get John Bush from Armored Saint to sing for them because cause he was James was insecure of his singing. Because he he, he didn't want to be the singer, so they were really nervous for that show. But it went out well, and everybody was happy afterwards.
3: Oh. Mike, you had a big hand in getting Armored Saint over to Europe, didn't you?
0: Mm, no big hand, no, no. I, I mean, I know the guy very well. I mean. I see John and, and Joey, of course, with all the bands he's touring here. I see those guys all the time here at festivals like Bang Your Head and and Walking Open Air. They, I mean, they come along nowadays pretty frequent, um, and I've visited them a couple of times in, in L.A. when I was there. So we're good friends, but uh, no, I didn't. No, they, I don't. I don't think they never played the Archer Festival. I think they did Dynamo Open Air
1: uh-huh.
0: in I think '86, if I'm I'm not sure I mean I mean it's also long ago I and mean, I know maybe it's 92 sorry maybe 92 they did with uh, yeah it was the festival of the dead people we call it a lot of bands who played there that year had people that died you know Um Armored Saint had uh is it Dave Pritchard on guitar? He died uh-huh. of leukemia. You had uh, Sabotage with Chris Oliva. He died in a, in a car accident. You had, um, who else was there? You had Vicious uh, Rumors with Carl Albert singing. He died. So there was a lot of bands on that lineup where they had people dying, uh, and we call it the Festival of the Dead. Wow. Mike, Mike yeah. what, what
3: was the band for Our Chalk? that you wanted to get and you were never able to get. And when you when you look at Download in the UK, I know for years the promoter there has always said that the one band he wanted was Van Halen and he could never get him. And I'm sure that must have been a band that you would have loved to have gotten because they're from Holland.
0: Well, yeah, the two guys are from, from Nijmegen or Arnhem. Yeah. Um, no, you always make a wish list, but then half of the band's your know, that's on on your wish list. They are not touring or they're just recording at the same time or touring on a different continent. Um, but no, I never. I can't recall right now that I ever missed a band or something. No, okay, not really.
3: Okay, I just got one or two more questions for you, Mike. Of sure. All, all the years doing Arid Shock, was there one band that stood out that completely blew you away with how good they were live?
0: Well, actually, it's uh, every year. There's one or two bands. I mean, over forty years. I mean, like, like for example, uh, this January I saw a band from Boston called Wild Run. I never saw them before, and their third record, Feel of Imagination, uh, Feel of Imagination, just came out in America on their own. And I never saw them live, so I booked them on the Seventy Thousand Tons of Metal Cruise. Oh, yeah, I'm working with that crews, by the way. But, um, <laughs> and I saw them live. I never saw them before live. And I was blown away how good they were. Um, sometimes you go to shows and you like the record, but you don't know how good they are live. And sometimes a lot of bands are live better than they are on a record, especially in the early days. I mean, because studio recording studios couldn't get the live vibe onto a recording. You know, it took a lot, a lot of years for bands to sound on the record as good as they were live. Most of the times the demos you had of their of yeah, the demos the sound of the demos were better than what came out of the studio when they put out the first record. That happened with a lot of bands. Um, so so there were always bands were better live than they were on a record in the early days. Uh. Um, but no maybe Slayer. They were a good live. They were a good band. I mean, they did their first European show in May 85. They played the Heavy Sound Festival in Polkringen. And uh, me and Andre were there for, for Art Shock to review the festival. And they came down and they had a van with the gear and stuff. And um, but the uh, the van they got rented um through their booking agent was a stick shift and nobody except Dave Lombardo could drive a stick shift. So Andre and me said, You know what, we're gonna drive you through Europe so me and Andre drove Slayer the whole Hella Waste tour through Europe.
3: Nice. <laughs>
0: so then, um so that's yeah, they had a tour manager, uh Doug Goodman, who was uh well, it was the first story I ever did, Doug Goodman, uh, and selling the Slatanic Mark shirts at, at night, and then, you know. Trying to, to help the band during the, the tour. And that was the first tour he did. After that, I think for 15 years, he did a band called Green Day, <laughs> doing like averaging like 17,000 people a show. But the first one tour he did, ever did was that Hell tour. And we had KJ Doughton, the journalist Arch of America, we had on tour. So it was a really tight family. And Tom Araya's brother, uh, Johnny, was the road crew they had. So we were driving the band through all of Europe. We had a lot of adventure. I have like 400 pictures of that first tour I might once publish as a book or so. But I had a lot of war stories from that first Slayer tour. That was really fun. Nice. Because we invented touring kind of in a certain different way. Like, for example, I'll give you one example. They played via Groningen, uh, let's say, on a Friday. And the next day, they played uh, Algelijk in Luttenberg, two two little clubs in the Netherlands. And uh, we were in Groningen, and I said, you know what? if we just party out, I know this town the, the bars are open till 7 in the morning if we go partying and leaving at 7 and we will build, we'll be near the next um, venue 9 o'clock in the morning, a two hour drive I said, you know, and we, we book a hotel and we ask for an early check in so we don't have to book a hotel tonight, so we drove up there, arrived 9 in the morning the, the rooms were just done so we checked in the morning, we went to bed, slept till 4pm going to the new venue, doing the sound check, eat there, play the show, go back to the same hotel room we, we entered the morning and slept there, spend the night there and then drove off to the next show the next morning. So we had two nights of sleep and for one day of playing hotel.
3: Uh, uh, that would have saved a bit of Which money. It's a
0: trick I did you know, to save hotel money so we had more money to spend on buying alcohol or so. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the way how you you know you you learned how to uh, to survive on the road. I mean there was no book yet, there was no uh, handbook how to survive on the road yet. You 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 know you you played it as you went along and you you know, you, you came up with ideas to save money or to make money. Oh. Mike,
3: I'm gonna throw a hypothetical question at you, right? Just say yeah. just just say you could do an art shock this year and you could pick five or six bands. What five or six bands would you pick now to play on it?
0: Um, well, definitely Metallica, because they're one of the best live bands around. Um, I would book Slayer again, because, you know, the, they, they they stopped touring, but I definitely want to have Slayer on there. They never played on the Archer Festival, and I like them with Gary Holt in there. mm uh-huh. um, uh, Olderbridge, because I like them a lot and they're a good good band. If not, I would take the solo band of Mark Tremonti, the, the guitar player. And Iron Maiden, of course. I mean, they're, I don't know whether you've seen them the last five years, but they are better and better live every year I see them. Not because I get older and they get older, but they're really, really good, tight live unit right now. They're sounding great. And Bruce is still, his voice is stronger than before. So I really want to like, like, and then of course I I like to band some bands that I can't get together anymore. Like Fear of God, they were great, but Don Crosby is gone. Last Rocket is always a great life band, Um, but Willie Lang died a couple of years ago and definitely Death Angel because they're one of the best live bands still. I mean, they just toured with Testament and Exodus and then blew them off stage every night. And Obituary, because they have the best lifestyle of all the bands I know, and they're great guys and great music and really original. Mm. You so never... Obituary definitely has to be on there.
3: You never had Death Angel at our truck.
0: No, because um, when I started booking bands, they were not really together anymore. I mean like the first shows they did at Dynamo they were called O or the organization you know with a couple of band members and um, they played Dynamo they had a that was a funny show. They were booked for one Dynamo show when they played in the festival was in Viet at the Bospop uh, grounds. Boss is a different festival and um, we had a warm up show on a Friday the di- night before the festival at the FNR and the vibe, the crowd was singing all the songs of the first three records so loud and the band had like two hours goosebumps on stage. They were almost cry there was an electrifying atmosphere in the crowd, you know, waiting to see the band they never saw before live. And that night Death Angel decided to get together again because of that warm up show they did for that one off Dynamo festival show. And that's how they came together again and they've been uh, together since i'm not sure what year that was so yeah i' have to look that up uh, uh. so so Mike. Um, yeah give out all the
3: give out all the links for the magazine where people can can buy it like the website and all that good stuff
0: well it's just archhop and archho is, is a a r b s c h o k not s h o c k l s c h o k archuk is the dutch word for a earth shaker Mm. So, um, the the music in the magazine is so loud, the the ground starts to tremble. That's why we (laughs) call it Art Shock in 1980. It's a Dutch word. Also, when we had the American uh, version out in 87 and 88, it was called Art Shock America. That's a whole different story. I could tell stories for hours.
3: (laughs) Mike, maybe maybe some other time I'll get you back on and we'll keep talking.
0: Yeah, no problem.
3: (laughs) Mike, listen, Mike... it's it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Yeah,
0: no problem, and uh, good luck with your show, man.
3: Okay, take care of yourself.
0: Yes, yeah, see ya. All right, Mike. Bye.
2: bye. Like I said, is that guy just a fountain of metal history? And uh, you know, I I really hope that we're able to get him back on again because there's a lot of stuff that was in those conversations and little hints about other great stories under the surface that Richie just didn't have enough time to cover with him. So, like I said, hoping we're going to have him back on because I uh, really would love to pick his brain for more good stuff. And I got to say that, uh, you know, when he talked about the first bands on in the 1982 show, one of them, of course, was Picture, who um, isn't really well-known here in the States. But, you know, myself, I think I've talked to Bob Nell Banding about Picture and uh, even Martin Popoff about Picture before. I'm pretty sure at some point I even talked to Bill Hale about Picture. But they're one of these bands that uh, those of us that have been around a while, There, you know, just kind of remember them as being a really cool band. In 82, they put out an album called Diamond Dreamer, and that's probably what they would have been promoting at the show. And that one there has just got some kick ass songs on it. Some of the stuff has got that real Nawabam feel, some of it is even almost speed metal as well and thrashy. It's good stuff. So, you ever have a chance to check out Diamond Dreamer? That's one of the great picture albums. They've got tons more as well, but that one there from 82, just tying it back into the whole Ardshock story. And also, you know, talking about tying it back to Ardshock, if you want to check out what's going on in the magazine, then you want to head up to Ardshock.com. And like Metal Mike says, that's A uh, A R D S C H O K dot com. See what they've got going on up there. And it's it's interesting, too, because their May-June issue, bringing it back to the Ardshock Festival again, is they've got Adrian Vandenberg on the cover. So back around again with uh, with Vandenberg. And talking about back around with Vandenberg, if you wanted to check out any of our interviews with Adrian, you want to go up to uh, focusonmetal.net. And we have tons of episodes out there for you to listen to and, you know, dig back into metal history besides the... Just the regular week-to-week stuff that we have up there as well. We've got a lot of projects up there and stuff. So if you're new to uh, Focus on Metal, definitely go up to FocusOnMetal.net. Go over to the episodes page and you can see episode after episode that you can uh, download or stream. And there's, there's blocks of time that we don't have up there anymore except for maybe some exceptional episodes with, with producers or engineers or some other kind of notable stuff up there. And obviously, all the project stuff is up there as well Little Mountain Sound and Kerrang and Strange Highways, all that good stuff. So, again, do yourself a favor. You're looking for more stuff to listen to on metal history. Go up to focusonmetal.net. But speaking of history, for this week, we are history. That's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So, for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, be safe. And until we talk to you again, as always, remember... Focus on metal. Everything else is insignificant.